It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, this is Michael Brown. I am live from Jerusalem right now, and um, I had previously planned on recording a show in Jerusalem today, and that was going to be uh, what we put on the air. But uh, things changed. I was several hours at a police precinct today, and I want to tell you what happened in Israel. Those who have been praying for the trip, thank you. I said the first couple of days I was going to be doing some things and I couldn't talk about them publicly because they involved reaching out to very religious Jews, perfectly legal, everything we were doing, but we wanted to do it quietly. So today I had a team. There were some friends of mine that are living in Israel, some Israelis and others, and my producer Matt, my sister-in-law Robin, and we were on the streets of Jerusalem in a fairly religious area, but mixed, lots of other people not religious. And we were asking people if they'd like to do a TV interview. We had a, we had a camera, the mics, everything. And we were explaining, uh, we were explaining that um, we were, we were uh, taking, uh, doing interviews for, for God TV. We were going to put stuff on Christian TV, God TV. And we wanted to explain what they believed. And I was trying to, trying to build bridges, trying to see... Maybe we have some ground common and explain what you believe. And, and you know, you'd be hearing that some of them think Jesus was an evil man and he, he worked miracles by divination and stuff like that. And then, you know, they think he's responsible for Auschwitz, the Holocaust. You know, so it's important for, for Christians to hear those things. Anyway, what happened was we hear people say, missionary, missionary, they're missionaries, they're missionaries. And I was, I was wearing a yarmulke, you know, as a Jew, sometimes just identifying as a Jew. But they're like, are oh, you trying to deceive us? Or I'm telling you who I am. And uh, people even saying hi to me that knew me from Internet and stuff. And, you know, I, I get recognized more in Jerusalem than I get recognized in the city where I live. So anyhow, it starts to get a little disruptive. And the co-workers, my friends from Israel, said we should really leave. Just get you in a taxi because it could really erupt here. So next thing... This guy starts yelling, missionaries, missionaries, and following us, and then these ultra-Orthodox Jews, I mean, the, we've got a video coming up shortly, you'll be able to see. They start surrounding me, and uh, now we're walking in the public square, and I'm being surrounded by these guys, and young know, missionaries are deceivers, and I said, hey, how am I deceiving you? Am I dressed like a traditional Jew? Do I have a long beard? Do I, how am I deceiving you? And if you're a missionary, I said, everyone knows me on the Internet. I said, I'm Jew, believe in Jesus. Is that illegal here? So now I'm talking to the secular Israelis, and I'm asking the secular Israelis, is that, is that legal here? Are you, are you allowed to believe these things here? Can, uh, yeah, yeah. So Because my modern Hebrew is, is, is pretty weak. You know, I'm much more fluent in biblical Hebrew, but I'm saying some stuff than the modern Hebrew. So one guy, he's like, you like Trump? You vote for Trump? Yeah, we love Trump! Trump! Yes. They are, all these Israelis, they want to talk about Trump. They said Trump made America great again, make Israel great again. He's the man. He says it. He does it. So 
there, there, and then now I got more and more of the ultra orthodox surrounding me, and they're yelling at me, and I'm, I'm saying, hey, uh, the last thing I'm going to do is be intimidated. So at this point, my coworkers, local coworkers, they're gone. But even if we want to leave, we're surrounded, and this one guy harassing works with a local organization to try to stop Messianic Jews called Yad Lachim. Pray for these guys. I was, I was praying for that he'd be, he'd have a Saul of Tarsus experience, the guy that ended up accusing me to the police. So he's, he's getting all upset, and he's, you know, got the phone in my face and yelling, and he's calling the police and saying they're preaching, and the guy had a yarmulke on, and I said, hey, I don't have the yarmulke. I'm not, I'm not trying to trick anybody. I'm who I am, a Jew, believe in Jesus. So I said, have the police come. You're harassing me. So I'm thinking, what a joke. He's calling the police because I'm preaching the gospel, which is perfectly legal. So anyway, at this point, it's getting pretty crazy, though. And, and you know, the last concern is I, I, I'm going to get attacked or beat. I mean, we live for the Lord. That's, that's it. We don't, we don't back down. So the, the more crazy the situation got, the more I felt, hey, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. last thing they're going to do is chase me out or intimidate me. So I thought more people we can talk to, more people we can witness to, uh, and let's use the opportunity. And we got a lot of it on camera as, as well. So the guy pushes his phone right in my face. So I just pushed the, I just put my hand, pushed back. He's screaming, don't attack me. I <laughs> put the phone in my face. Plus we have it all on camera. So we still can't leave. We're trying to leave. Still can't leave. And finally, a police show up. Two police women. One doesn't speak any English. The other just a little bit of English. Okay. And, 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 uh, Tony, you can get the rest of the show ready, but, uh, and, and I'm just going to do this opening segment now for everybody. Uh, but, so just go ahead and, and, uh, get the rest of the show ready, uh, to, to move on. And I'll take a few more minutes to fill you in on what happened. So the police are there and they say, you just have to wait. Why do I have to wait? You have to wait. I said to my friends, come with No, 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 they have to go. So we send them off to the hotel. So I, I sent word. To Nancy, she was texting my daughters here about some things. I said, "Hey, pray. I got a little situation here. The police are, you know, detaining me, and this guy, you know, this ultra orthodox guy is accusing me. So they say to me, uh, he wants to bring charges against you. He, he says you tried to assault him. Do you want to bring charges against him?' I said, "Sure." Because someone advised me. The guy called me and said, "By the way, if he tries to bring charges against you, you do the same." And then police will realize, you know, the, the, and, and put something on YouTube to show what's going on. So I was able to text Matt, our producer, and say, hey, put something on, send out some prayer alerts. And then I posted a short video on Facebook and Twitter and said, hey, pray. I can't say more. Just pray. And uh, anyway, so we're sitting there forever, waiting, 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 waiting. And, and uh, then uh, we get in the police van. So we get in the van. They take us over to the little precinct, wherever it is, kind of run down a little place. And we just got to sit. Hours. You know, they gave me a glass of water and, and uh, so on. They wouldn't let us talk because I was keep trying to reach this guy, so he would get angry. And so we can't talk. And then they take our phone. Now this guy had another phone, hit, so they took his phone. But when they weren't looking, he was using his phone. Oh yeah. So finally, after hours, uh, finally after hours, the uh, the uh, the investigator shows up and. And at this point, I asked the lady, the police woman, can I just use the phone to text my wife? And she said, she doesn't know what's happening. So, you know, Johnny, I said, yes, the phone. I said, no, no, we have it. I said, yes, the phone. So he 
liar, you're a liar. It was a bad guy. Show me the phone, show me the phone. And I said, it's in your pocket. So at this point, the investigator guy comes to one side. And he separates the two of us. That's business and jealousy. But the, you look this way, you look this way, you talk and all, you'll be arrested. At which point I realized, okay, so I guess I wasn't arrested yet. They're just detaining us because this guy's claiming there was a fight. And the police woman says, look, I have to believe him. I have to believe both of you, you know. So they interview this other guy, the investigator, I don't know, takes maybe a half hour long thing, calls me in, asked me what I was doing there, I explained, asked what I do with the a professor, I have a radio show, and I said, I bring tours over to Israel, we're friends of Israel, there's a fact I'm going to Bethlehem later in the week to represent Israel at a conference, you know, and uh, uh, all of that, and he said, so you know what the guy says, they tried to attack him, I said, come on, 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 so he pushed the phone and did a phone because I said, no, he just, I pushed the phone away from my face. I said, well, I got it on YouTube. So we show him the video, you know, what I'm sure, and, and in fact, uh, it, it may be, uh, let's just see if it's gone live yet. Hang on. All right, here's, here's what I need you to do, everybody, all right? Go to my YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown, A-S-K-D-R Brown on YouTube. If you're not subscribed, which Go there right now. Everybody listening, watching, go to YouTube, Ask Dr. Brown, A-S-K-D-R Brown on YouTube, and subscribe. If you're not a subscriber, click subscribe, because in another couple of minutes, you're going to get to see a little bit of what happened, including one ultra-Orthodox Jewish man, and he shouts out in Hebrew, he doesn't believe in, in Yeshua, then he says it in English, and he spits on the ground, and he is fine. Jesus is evil. In his mind, Jesus and Christians have persecuted and killed Jews. In his mind, Jesus was a Jewish man who became a deceiver and deceived others, and people worship him as God and they worship an idol. That's how they look at it. So these men need to encounter God. Because if you talk to them in another context, all they talk about is pleasing God and wanting to honor God and live for God and, and so on. And that's their hearts. But to them, we are the enemy. So uh, when you see this, uh, I, I really pray that God will grip you in prayer. So probably within the next five or ten minutes, the video will be up and you'll see what happened. So I showed that video to the uh, to the police guy, and he said to me, so you're a missionary? I said, I do believe in Jesus. And I, and I said, yeah. He said, missionaries are good. It's good, okay. Missionaries are good. <laughs> I had prayed for, for a man of favor. In the end, this guy told me missionaries are good. He said, you want a lawyer? I said, do I need a lawyer? Said, no. Nothing happened. I said, police support you? No. I didn't take fingerprints. Nothing happened. It's fine. So he sends me on my way, gives me his name, and uh, I, I walk out. I, I walk out of the police station, so I'm by myself, and there are these ultra-Orthodox Jews, a couple of guys waiting for me with a camera. So I smiled, and there's a third guy, another religious Jew, and he, he starts talking to me in English. I waved at the other guy's big smile, so I'm talking to this guy in English, and he says to me, he says, so, you're a violent man? And I said, oh, yeah, fight, violent. If we have it, I said, come on, man, the guy's harassing me. So he's laughing because he understands what's really going on. And he says, oh, you were deceptive, you were in the office. I said, I'm a Jew. Sometimes I said, I identify as a Jew, but we told people what's for it. You're going to be talking to Christians about your beliefs and so on. I said, I want everybody to know. I'm open. Everybody knows me. I want them to know me. I'm a believer in Jesus, you know? So he said, you should go to Bethlehem. 
with this message. I said, I am. He said, I know. So somehow he knew my itinerary. And I said, I'm representing Israel at the Christ at the Checkpoint Conference, which is an anti-Zionist conference. I'm representing Israel there. I'm doing a voice. So he says to me in Hebrew, he says, this one time I wish you success. I walk away from there, and there's a guy just following me down the road. I'm on the phone with Nancy, trying to update her on what happened. This guy following me down the road, and a German, older German Christian guy comes to Jerusalem regularly to pray for Israel. He recognized me from internet and just want to know he's praying. Seconds later, another man comes up, German Christian man, recognized me from internet. He's been a blessing to him. He's praying. And it's just that reminder, the prayers of the church. The prayers of the church are going to turn the hearts of Israel. So, friends, we're going to go into a previous broadcast. But sign up, get on YouTube now, Ask Dr. Brown. Within minutes, you'll be able to watch that video. Thank you for praying. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hi, some beautiful Jewish music. 866-34-TRUTH, you've got Jewish-related questions. We've got answers for you today. There are very interesting traditions in Judaism about a suffering Messiah. Most Jews are familiar with the traditions of a victorious Messiah, Messiah who will rule and reign, the Messiah that Jews are praying for on a daily basis, that he will come and establish his kingdom on the earth. And that's beautiful and wonderful, and we too long to see that. We understand that's what Jesus, Yeshua, will do when he returns in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who don't know God. At the same time, Judaism actually does have a lot to say about a suffering Messiah. Some of the traditions refer to the Messiah, meaning the Messiah, son of David. But some of the traditions also refer to another Messianic figure in traditional Judaism called Messiah, son of Joseph. And he, if you're not familiar with this, I've alluded to it many times on the air. In Jewish tradition, and and I can't give you scripture for it because it's not in the Bible, But in Jewish tradition, he fights the wars of the Lord, and then in the last great war is cut down in battle and dies. And Messiah, son of David, raises him from the dead. Now, here's what's really interesting. There are traditions about a suffering Messiah in the Talmud, in traditional Jewish sources, talking about Messiah, son of David. And one of the most famous talks about the Messiah sitting by the gates of Rome, So this is after the time of Jesus, but within a few hundred years, okay? In other words, we're not talking about 100 years ago. We're talking about 17, 1800 years ago. And the Messiah is sitting outside the gates of Rome. And when when a rabbi is is asked how is he going to recognize him, because he's sitting among the lepers, those with severe skin disease. Again, tradition I've talked about on the air as well many a time, that that whereas the others are changing their wounds, they're changing their bandages, etc., that cover their wounds. So they, they take all the bandages off, and then they put new bandages on. That the Messiah just takes off one bandage at a time, just in case Israel needs him. In other words, just in case it could be time for redemption. And, but notice that he's suffering. Now, now, why is this? 
it would make sense that Judaism has traditions about a suffering Messiah because the Jewish people, we've been suffering through our history. We've suffered in exile. We've been outcasts. So here the Messiah is one of us. There are other Jewish traditions that depict the Messiah sitting in heaven, carrying the pains of Israel. And if he did not carry Israel's pains, Israel could not endure. Fascinating traditions found in Judaism. And I'm going to share some of them with you in a little while. Whole books have been written on the suffering Messiah in Jewish tradition. All right, uh, let me just look here uh, and see here. So Walter, here on Facebook, when you say that his name is Yahshua, can you give me evidence for that, sir? The Hebrew, in the, the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew text that we have, vocalized, call him Yeshua. In other words, that same name, Yehoshua, Joshua, in short form, Yeshua, occurs 27 times in the Hebrew Bible for about five different people. Then we know that in Greek it comes out as Yesus, which would also presume that A sound at the beginning of Yeshua. Then we know the Syriac, the ancient Aramaic translation, has the equivalent that would also give us the A sound, hence Yeshua. So please, someone, give me textual linguistic evidence that the name is Yahshua. I don't divide over it. There's simply no evidence for it. You say, but the Yah element has to be there. No, in names it gets shortened and changed in many different ways. Um, there is a question here from Josh. How is Daniel called righteous in Ezekiel fourteen fourteen if he didn't have a temple to do sacrifices or Yeshua to die for him? Uh, whatever God had revealed to the people of Israel, if people believe that, and acted on his word, they were called righteous. What about Abraham? He lived before there was a temple, right? Before there was a formal temple with formal sacrifices for atonement ordained under the law by God. But it tells us that he was justified by faith. So those who believe what God has spoken and promised and then act in obedience to that are declared righteous. Galatians 3 says that Abraham had the gospel preached to him. What was the gospel? Through your seed, the whole world will be blessed. So that is how we see the gospel being preached, the gospel being believed, the gospel being acted on, even though it was only in seed form. Um, Sarah asks, Exodus 21-22, about injuring a pregnant woman, Rashbaum says the penalty shall be life for life. Ibn Ezra says the injury does not apply to her fetus, baby, for it's not considered to be alive until it comes forth into the air of the world. He was merely fined for it. I thought if a pregnant woman is killed, that the person would be charged with two murders, not just one. I was surprised when I read this and wanted to know your thoughts on this. Yes, Sarah, thanks for the literate question. Rashbaum, Rabbi Shlomo Ben Meir, and then Ibn Ezra, Abraham Ibn Ezra, these were great medieval biblical commentators in Judaism. And there is debate, even among Christian scholars and translators, how we render Genesis 21, 22. The question is, so two men are fighting and then a pregnant woman gets hit. And does it say that she miscarries or does it say that there's no harm to the baby? One understanding is if there's no harm to the baby, then there's just a fine. Uh, the other, and if the baby dies, then the man that, that hit the woman, struck the woman, also dies. That's one way of understanding the text. The other way of understanding the text is 
if something happens to the baby, then there's a fine for that. I believe the best case can be made to say that if the woman miscarries, then that is considered murder and it is therefore life for life. But there is dispute about the Hebrew text. 866-34-TRUTH. Okay, I'm going to take some calls now. Everyone listening on radio, totally normal broadcast. If you're watching on Facebook, you'll hear silence for a moment. I'll fill you in on what the call is about, and then we'll answer your questions. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, we go to Ryan in Miami, Florida. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Um, I have a question because I hear a lot of Jews, they try to undermine Christianity by saying that um, that the Torah must be kept. And I even heard people go as far to call Christianity pagan by saying, mm-hmm. you know, things like, how can the New Testament be written in Greek because um, they were Hebrew and different things like that. So I wanted to get your take on these things because, you know, I've been hearing it very often now, you know, about the Torah keepers and it shouldn't, you shouldn't yeah. say Jesus, it should be Yeshua and things like that. Got it. So uh, Ryan's question your question is a few different things, but uh, some uh, people saying that all Christians must follow the Torah. Some saying that you you cannot use the name Jesus. Some saying that the New Testament as we have it is pagan or Christianity is pagan because New Testament is written in Greek. Okay, number one, the purpose of Messiah coming into the world was not just to save the Jewish people, but to save the world. God so loved the world. And Greek was the language to communicate in if you wanted to reach the whole world. So because of God's heart to reach the whole world and Messiah coming, not just for the Jewish people, but for the whole world, the way to reach the whole world was by writing in Greek. Now, some parts of the New Testament may originally have written, been written in Hebrew or Aramaic. Certainly the sayings of Jesus in Aramaic and or Hebrew would have been passed on to others that spoke Aramaic or spoke Hebrew. Uh, or had it in writing in that way. But the New Testament, as written, was written in Greek because God's heart was to reach the nations. All right, that's number one. Number two, from the first moment, God wanted people to be able to relate to Jesus Yeshua in their own language, all right? So if, if I'm talking to a Jewish person in America about Yeshua, they don't know who I'm talking about. If I talk about Jesus, then they understand. Now I can clear up their misconceptions about Jesus by saying he's Yeshua, he's a rabbi, etc. He, he's, he's a Jew, he's the most influential Jew who ever lived. Uh, it's, uh, and, and get away from their misconceptions and really open up the truth of Scripture there. Okay, so that's, that's number one uh, in terms of understanding who he is, relating to him for who he is. So God wanted that to be the case. When I go to Italy, they talk about Jesus. If I talked about Yeshua, that's like, who's that? Jesus, if I'm in Latin America, okay? That's how they're going to relate to him and understand. And then I tell them, Jesus is a Jew, and so on. We go from there. All right, now, as, as far as the idea that Gentile Christians are obligated to, to observe the Torah, there are whole books in the New Testament addressing that misconception, like the book of Galatians. And I'm, I'm quite aware, trust me, I've been at this for decades. I'm quite aware that people try to bring arguments, know that the Torah is obligatory on all. It simply does not work. And I do not know, I do not know a single follower of Jesus on the planet today who is living by every word of the written Torah. And, if, and those that say, hey, I wish the temple was standing so we can go and offer sacrifices, 
they have really missed a major point, a fundamental point of our salvation in terms of why the Messiah came and died and why we don't need those blood sacrifices anymore. Yeshua does not abolish the Torah, but he fulfills it. And by fulfilling it, he makes many things that were once needed not need it anymore because he has brought it to its full meaning. Not only so, but the New Testament is quite emphatic on this, that it does not require Gentile Christians to observe all the Torah. It is emphatic on this, very strong, very clear. And those that put this emphasis in the wrong place end up often uh, really in a deceived place and a deceived state, and it's very unfortunate. And in fact, I want to get to a call. Sarah, if you can stay there, I want to get to a call uh, about why some actually embrace Judaism and reject Jesus. It's because they allowed themselves to be deceived away from the fundamental root. The substance of our life in God is found in the Messiah. When he becomes secondary to other things, you watch out. Backsliding sets in. We'll be right back. Hey, friends, we won't be taking calls today. Sit back and enjoy this pre-recorded show. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back to the Line of Fire, friends. You are listening to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday here on the Line of Fire. I am coming your way live from right outside of San Diego, one of the more beautiful parts of the country. Thanks so much for joining us. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. I want to answer a bunch of questions that were posted on Twitter. I normally don't take questions on social media during the show, but I opened the door for this, and we've, we've got some really good questions here. So let's just see. Uh, let me look down at a few questions that have come in in the last few minutes. Uh, John asks, have I ever read works from the Jewish Catholic apologist David Goldstein? No, I haven't, but I'll, I'll, have, to, I'll have to look him up. What's my answer to those who would deny the blood connection of the Ashkenazi Jews to their first century inhabitants of Israel? Just look at the best historical studies. Get online, get past the myth of the conversion of the Khazars, that that's where all the Ashkenazis come from. Look at the best studies, and you'll see that there is a strong case that can be made that traces back Ashkenazi Jews back to the original Israelites. Obviously, some intermarriage along the way, but these are people marrying into uh, the Jewish people, just like Ruth did in ancient Israel. Uh, So good, strong arguments for it. I am 90% Ashkenazi, 10% Sephardi Jew. Uh, Let's just look at some other questions here. Uh, Some other Jewish questions posted on Twitter. Uh, How do I reconcile Paul and Galatians and other places seeming to say that Christ fulfilled the promise to Abraham and the idea that Israel still has a special covenant? I, I don't see any contradiction in any of his statements whatsoever. Not at all. Messiah is the promised seed, and Paul emphasizes that plainly in Galatians 3, but he also says that that the law which comes after the promise cannot annul the promise, and he makes clear in Romans the 11th chapter that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, specifically with reference to God's promises to Israel. So Messiah coming only confirms the fact that God will do the rest of what he promised. I I see no uh, no, uh, contradiction there whatsoever. 
Uh, Jonathan asks, can I explain what the Torah teaches about original sin? According to the Torah, what is the inherent nature of mankind? Are we intrinsically evil? A, a Jewish understanding of this is that we are mixed, that there was a fall and the fall did affect us. In other words, that Adam was this glorious being in rabbinic tradition and he could stride the earth in just a few strides, you know, glowing, you know, with a brighter than the sun kind of being and, and then just becomes a mortal, frail human being afterwards. I mean, subject to death and weakness, temptation, etc. as we are. But Jewish thought is, is that there is what's called the Yetzer HaTov and the Yetzer HaRa, the good inclination and the evil inclination. And to answer your question about Torah, they would say it's found in Genesis, the fourth chapter, where, where after Adam, Cain kills Abel and God says to him, where's your brother? And, and the whole thing goes on, am I my brother's keeper? And, and, and there God says to him that sin is crouching at the door, Right. That, that you have an, an impulse, an inclination towards it, but you must overcome it. So that would be the Jewish view, that human beings are not entirely enslaved to sin, needing a redeemer, the way the gospel would teach. They are in a battle, and they must overcome. The good inclination must overcome the evil. Now you need God's help and mercy to do it, and ultimately a redeemer and savior is needed for the human race as a whole. But each individual Jew would say, I'm in a daily battle, and I must work with God to overcome the evil inclination. They also find in Deuteronomy 30 where God gives the Torah and says, hey, here it is. It's, it's for you to do. It's not hard. It's not inaccessible. It's for you to do. Those would, those would be the Jewish approaches as well. Um, Bob, R- a rabbi, says, if it was all right for Jesus to be Jewish, then I'm fine with it too. How to respond? Well, do you listen to Jesus? That's easy. Okay, do you listen to what he had to say? If, if you respect him, what did he say? Did he say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father but through me. Did he say, I give my life as a ransom for many? Did he say, before Abraham was, I am? Did he say, I'm the good shepherd, my sheep hear my voice? Did he say those things? Then are you following him? And do you believe in his death? Because he, he said he was going to lay down his life as a sacrifice. Are you following him? Do you believe he rose from the dead? I mean, otherwise, then what does his example mean to you? Obviously, not much. 866-34-TRUTH. Again, if you're tuning in on Facebook, we do not have our connection working properly somehow today where you can hear the calls. But as soon as I'm done with the caller, I'll repeat the question so that you can all be appraised of it. Prized of uh, Let's go to Ogden, Utah. Sarah, welcome to the line of fire. What's on your mind today? Hi. Um, I've called before, and I've spoken with you. Um, so I'm Torah servant, but I, I obey the Torah um, as obedience, but I keep grace through through Jesus. Um, but one thing that I don't understand is I came, when I learned the pagan paganism of Christianity, I went deeper and I considered Judaism, but it led me into knowing who Yeshua was, who I had never really known. So once I knew the deeper Jewish Jesus, Jesus I was able to mm-hmm. understand him on a much deeper level to where my faith is stronger than it's ever been in traditional Christianity. So my question is, I'm recently divorced. Um, my husband divorced me. He had no grace, and he was very legalistic. And um, and now he's looking to convert to Judaism. And I, I just can't understand how people can go from Christianity to, to the poor observant and then just reject it altogether into just straight Judaism. I can't understand that. Yeah, so, so Sarah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry you've been through this, and it's obviously a, a difficult time. So your journey is an unusual one. 
you said that you found mm-hmm. Christianity to be pagan, so then you looked into Judaism, and then when you really discovered who Yeshua was, the Jewish Jesus, the Jewish Yeshua, the Messiah, then you really found him, you found grace there, but you believe God wants you to observe the Torah, uh, and you can't understand how someone else can go in the direction of completely rejecting Yeshua and then converting to Judaism. Here's what happens. People take their eyes off the Messiah, and they put their eyes on Torah. You say, well, I look at them as one and the same. I understand that. But people take their eyes off the Messiah, and they put them on Torah. They put them on observing commandments. They put them on uh, acts of obedience rather than relationship with God through faith, which ushers into acts of obedience. And because of that, they major on the Sabbath rather than the, the goal of the Sabbath, which is finding rest in the Messiah. They, they major on outward things like dietary laws as opposed to understanding the spiritual purpose of dietary laws, because of which they fall away. Paul warns about it in Galatians 2, specifically telling Gentile Christians not to let anyone put them under pressure regarding Sabbath observance, because that is just the, the, the shadow, the substance is found in the Messiah. The, the, the body of it is found in the Messiah. So that's the critically important thing. John 15 tells us to abide in Messiah. As we abide in him, then we have an intimate relationship with God and bear fruit. And Paul writes to the Galatians that those who are led by the Spirit are not under the law because they're now going to live out by the Spirit the righteous requirements of the law. You put the emphasis in the wrong place, it opens the door wide to backsliding, unfortunately. So, Sarah, let me just ask you this. When you say you're, you're Torah observant, uh, what do you do with the commandments in the Torah that are, that, that are, let me ask you this, if a temple was standing today, would you go to, uh, would you want uh, to go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices? Um, I have a question on that, that I haven't figured out, because I know Jesus was the atonement. Um, so, I don't know, because in Zechariah it talks about when Yeshua is back and he's king, that everyone that doesn't come up to present their sacrifices, God will withhold rain. Right, so Zechariah right, Zechariah 14, speaking of a millennial kingdom, speaks of future sacrifices, but certainly we can say clearly we don't need blood sacrifices now to be right with God. His, his blood has cleansed us once for all. The right. reason I raise that is to say that when Jesus came, he fulfilled the Torah. He didn't abolish it, but he fulfilled it. Because of that, many of the things that, that were important then, he brought to their fullest meaning. We don't need a physical temple. We don't need an earthly high priest. We are part of his spiritual temple. We have a heavenly high priest. We don't need the blood sacrifices. They've been sacrificed once for all in terms of the blood of the cross. And because of that, because of that, we, we now relate to things differently. So I just encourage you to look at some larger pictures and not to write off all of Christianity as, quote, pagan. Perhaps some of the things that you were taught were a little exaggerated. And Sarah, I want you to stay there. And I want to send you a free book. It's called 60 Questions Christians Ask About Jewish Beliefs and Practices. And I have a whole section there about Christians and the law. 60 Questions Christians Ask About Jewish Beliefs and Practices. I want to send you that as a gift. 866-34-TRUTH. So Howard, Kim, you can get on with Sarah and get her info so we can send that out to her. Uh, Let's go to George in Duncanville, Texas. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Yes, thank you, sir, for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, can I make, before, I make, before I ask my question, real quickly. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes, my comment was basically, 
you know, where where it says in Exodus about the two men fighting. I've always believed that to be that the woman gives birth prematurely because that's what's more consistent with the uh, rest of Scripture. Right, right. But, exactly. Go ahead. So my question, uh, you know, I've heard quite a few people now say that uh, Jesus is basically the Messiah for the Gentiles, uh, but not for the Jews. And who, uh, George, who, who have you heard say that Jesus is the Messiah for the Gentiles, not for the Jews? Uh, John Hagee. And I'm yeah, so that, that. Yeah, so of course I interacted with John Hagee about that, and he told me to my face that Jews need Jesus to be saved. So I don't, I don't know what to make of those other comments. Um, certainly if that's his position, then that's a heretical position. But uh, when he put a book out that said that, I was involved with people who made corrections in the book, and he had said, well, that's not what he had meant to communicate, etc. But in, in short, in short, uh, if Jesus is not the Messiah for the Jews, he's nobody's Messiah. In other words, did he die for our sins or not? If he died for our sins, then the whole world has to believe it. Did he rise from the dead? If, if he didn't die for our sins, if he didn't rise from the dead, then he's nobody's Messiah. You say, no, 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 he just did that for the Gentiles. Jews already had their own covenant with God. That's not what he said. He said he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel first and foremost. Matthew says he came to save his people from their sins. He came to be fulfilling what was written in Moses and the prophets. So if he fulfilled what was written in Moses and the prophets, then in fact the New Testament is reliable and he is the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. If he did not fulfill what was written in Moses and the prophets, if he didn't die for our sins, if he didn't rise from the dead, the New Covenant, the New Testament is not reliable, in which case he's nobody's Messiah. Nobody should believe him. It's, it's an impossible suggestion. Either he's the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world, not the Messiah of Israel and he's the Savior of no one. The, the choice that others are putting forward is an impossible choice. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday as we come your way live from right outside San Diego. I'm doing a conference with some other speakers this weekend in Santee, California, about Jewish evangelism. And my message uh, tomorrow night, uh, God willing, I'm going to speak about why God's Word says to the Jew first. Let me, let me read some interesting traditions to you, Jewish traditions about the suffering Messiah. Uh, <clears throat> How, how about this? This is, this is uh, in um, an ancient Midrash, so this is homiletical comments, not legal or authoritative, but homiletical comments by some of the rabbis hundreds of years ago. Uh, it's speaking of one of the houses in the heavenly paradise. There sit Messiah ben David, so Messiah son of David, and Elijah, and Messiah ben Ephraim, Messiah son of Joseph, a suffering Messiah. And there is a canopy of incense trees, as in the sanctuary, which Moses made in the desert. And all its vessels and pillars are of silver, its covering is gold, and its seat is purple. And in it is Messiah ben David, who loves Jerusalem. Elijah, blessed memory, takes hold of his head, places it in his lap, and holds it and says to him, 
endure the sufferings and the sentence your master who makes you suffer because of the sin of Israel. And thus it is written, he was wounded because of our transgressions, he was crushed because of our iniquities, until the time when the end comes. So here's a picture in rabbinic literature. It's not a primary text. It's, it's not one of the most important rabbinic texts, but it is a, a text from the mainstream of rabbinic Judaism in the past, right? And it talks about in this heavenly paradise where Messiah, son of David, is waiting, and Messiah, son of David, is suffering because of the sins of his people. In other words, there's this constant intercession and identification that he has that he carries. Then it says that every Monday and Thursday and every Sabbath and holiday, the followers, fathers of the world, speaking of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses and Aaron, David, and Solomon, and the prophets and the pious come and visit him and weep with him, and he weeps with them. And they give him thanks and say to him, endure the sentence of your master, for the end is near to come, and the chains are on your neck, uh, that are on your neck will be broken, and you will go into freedom. Is, isn't that fascinating? So the Messiah, even in these Jewish texts, not on earth, but in heaven, is suffering for the sins of his people. Uh, here's another text from the Zohar, Jewish mysticism. In the hour in which they, speaking of the souls of the righteous sufferers, tell the Messiah about the sufferings of Israel in exile, and about the sinful among them who seek not the knowledge of their master, the Messiah lifts up his voice and weeps over those sinful among them. This is what is written. He was wounded because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Again, referring to Isaiah 53. And then, how about this? By the way, I have all these in volume two of Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, or in shorter form, in The Real Kosher Jesus as well. Uh, let me go to text from what's called Pasikta Rabati. This is maybe 7th, 8th century of this era. And it speaks, it speaks of the Messiah uh, using verses from Psalm 22, all right? And, and it speaks of him carrying our sin, carrying our pain in heaven. It's, it's really quite uh, remarkable. And uh, let me just see here. Uh, oh, I'll tell you what. Let, let me... Let me read you what Raphael Patai says, a great Jewish anthropologist, about these suffering texts. He says, there can be little doubt that psychologically, the suffering Messiah is but a projection and personification of suffering Israel. Similarly, the leper Messiah and the beggar Messiah, which are spoken of in the Talmud, are but variants on the theme of suffering Israel personified in the suffering Messiah figure. And it is undoubtedly true in the psychological sense that as the Zohar states, the acceptance of Israel's sufferings by the Messiah, read the projection onto the Messiah, eases that suffering which otherwise could not be endured. So what Patai is saying is that psychologically it makes sense that Jewish people in their suffering are seeing the Messiah suffering with them and projecting their sufferings on them. This does go more than that, though. If you're a Jewish person listening, you're familiar with these texts. Pesikta Rabbati, maybe, maybe 8th, 9th century of this era, so well over a thousand years old, either way. You're familiar with some of these texts. Why these many references to a suffering Messiah? Could there be something about the Messiah coming first to suffer, bear our sins, carry our pains, die in our place, the death of the righteous, atoning for the sins of the generation, and then, and then coming at the end of the age? Could it be one Messiah in two phases? Have you ever considered that as a traditional Jew? So look at this. Here, Pesikta Rabati. They said, in the seven-year period in which the Son of David comes, they will bring iron beams and put them upon his neck until his body bends 
and he cries and weeps, and his voice rises into the heights, and he says before him, Master of the world, how much can my strength suffer? How much my spirit? How much my soul? And how much my limbs? Am I not but flesh and blood? In that hour, the Holy One, blessed be he, says to him, Ephraim, my true Messiah, you have already accepted this suffering from the six days of creation. Now your suffering shall be like my suffering. This is God speaking to the Messiah in this Midrash, in this homily. For ever since the day on which wicked Nebuchadnezzar came up and destroyed my temple and burnt my sanctuaries in 586 B.C., and I exiled my children among the nations of the world by your life and the life of your head, I have not sat on my throne. If you do not believe, see the do that is upon my head. So in this homiletical passage, God is telling Messiah, son of David here, called Ephraim. All right, so identified with the Joseph Messiah, the suffering Messiah as well. He's telling him, since the temple was destroyed the first time, I have not sat on my throne. In other words, I am identifying with my people in their suffering and pain. Does, if you're a traditional Jew listening, does this give you a clue as to how we can relate to Jesus Yeshua being the Messiah? In that hour before him, master, he says, the Messiah says, Master of the world, now my mind is at rest, for it is sufficient for the servant to be like his master. Fascinating text, no? 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, we go to Jesse in Spicer, Minnesota. Welcome to the line of fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Thank you. Uh, my question You're welcome. is simple. Um, being that in the New Testament it says that we're, there's no longer male or female, Jew or Greek, or free or bond, but we're all one in Christ. I'm, my mm-hmm. question is then was, was genealogies and... and your races and stuff for this world system. So that's why I was, the question was, was Jesus still Jewish when he was resurrected? Was he male or female or neither after he was resurrected? Well, I, the only thing that we know is he was identified as what he was when, when they were still him, male. I can only say male. Yes. Real. Okay. So, so in other words, saying there's neither male nor female, junior, Gentile, slave nor free has nothing to do with this question of who we actually are. It has to do with our our relationship to God, there's no caste system, there's no class system, there's no one that's higher than the other or better than the other. A Jew is better than a Gentile, or male is better than a female, or free is better than a slave. No, in the Messiah, we're all one. But note, even in the book of Revelation, he's still the root and offspring of Jesse. He is yeah. still the lion of the tribe of Judah. So he's still a male, and he's still Jewish. Now, again, ethni- he transcends ethnicity and he transcends earthly gender. We understand that. But, no, he, he remains a Jew. The one who's coming back at the end of the age will be a glorified Jew. It's a great question. But yes, he remains a Jew, just as he remains male. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, we go to Deborah in Westfield, Michigan. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello. Dr. Brown, how's Hello. Yeah. Very well, Deborah. Go uh, ahead. Do we do we have enough time? I want to make. I, I won't I go if you get right to your question. We, go ahead. Okay, because, because I there's there are uh, one question, but actually there's actually two more questions I wanted to ask along with that one question. And uh, all right, we'll start start with the first, and we'll go from there. Okay, so number one in uh, Hosea chapter six. Uh, verse yep. Two, I believe it's around verse two and three. It talks about um, God said or the people saying, uh, come let us return to the Lord. Um, he'll, right. He has 
uh, bound our wounds and all that. And then and there's a part that says, after two days, he will revive us. And in three days, he mm-hmm. will raise us up. And I know that yep. theologically, uh, theologically it refers to, you know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that, that, um, you know, our resurrection, uh, when we have Jesus Christ, we, yeah, he'll, you know, give us eternal life mm-hmm. and all that. But from a first century Jewish perspective or from a perspective of a Jew living during the time of the divided kingdom, uh, yep. what's, how do you explain this uh, passage? Yeah, so, so Hosea 6, uh, notice it doesn't say that, that God, will, uh, God will raise him up on the third day, but rather us. So a traditional Jew could say, hey, this is talking about there's a period of suffering, uh, there's a period of, of smiting, and then uh, they'll be healed. So, for example, Rashi, the foremost traditional Jewish commentator, um, here's, how he, here's how he interprets Hosea 6, come and let us return. They will say, the people will say, come and let us return. He smites and he will bind us up. Uh, so it is present tense in Hebrew, he smites us and he will bind us up. He will revive us from the two days. So Rashi understands this to say he will strengthen us from the two retributions which have passed over us from the two sanctuaries that were destroyed. On the third day, meaning with the construction of the third temple, he will set us up from the two days, from the two times that have passed over us on the third day, it's the third time. So in, in other words, just as we take this uh, to, to not just be talking about us, but talking about a resurrection of the Messiah on the third day, making application of the text, traditional Jews make application of the text to say it's talking about destruction of two temples, and then the third temple is the time of our reviving. Hey, friends, we'll see you tomorrow. You've got questions. We've got answers.